Oh, hi, friends. You're back on the Virtually Agile podcast with Chris Stone, the Continuous Improvement Coach. Today, I'm joined by two guests and friends of mine as we explore agility in marketing and new ways of working. Do the thing and hit that subscribe button. You know it makes sense. I appreciate you. Enjoy the show. Well, hey there, you. You're back again with the Virtually Agile podcast. I'm Chris Stone, the Continuous Improvement Coach. Today, I welcome two guests to the show, fellow conference speakers and Miro fanatics, who I recently shared a few beers with in Prague. They specialize in agile marketing, amongst other things. Welcome, Yaka and Nina, to the show. Hi, Chris. Hey. So let's dive in. Uh, Tell our listeners about you both. What's your elevator pitch about each of your journeys? Nina, would you like to start and then I'm going to add? (laughs) Yeah, sure, of course. So, hi, my name is Nina and I'm an HR psychologist and a Miro lover and expert. And we've been working together in Switch to Eleven with Yaka now for a couple of years. And our passion actually is to help companies implement new ways of working to make the the workplace more human-centric and more customer-centric, of course. And when we're talking about customers, we don't mean just, you know, clients, we mean employees also. So we are like agile enthusiasts, uh, team dynamics coaches, and we work a lot with new ways of working, which is like an umbrella term for a lot of different stuff, not just remote and hybrid mode work like it's supposed to be. That's it from my side, Yaka. Hi, everyone. My name is Yaka. I'm an agile enthusiast, also specialized in agile marketing, doing that from the 2015. And then underpinned from the Agile Marketing to Agile Organizations. Right now, I'm working with Nina, in, as she mentioned, in the Switch to 11. So I'm really glad to be here and to have a great discussion with Chris. It's a pleasure to have you both. Let's start with Agile Marketing then. What is Agile Marketing to you? Oh, I, I, will, start, I will kick with this. So... I was working in sales and marketing for more than 15 years. And when I crossed, when I started to when I left the agency and start working with the client, client, basically what I understood in the first weeks of working was that basically marketing departments within the client may, mostly are an upgraded administration office. But marketing should be like strategic, right? And then I said, okay, we need to change the process somehow. And I crossed paths with Agile with a colleague of mine in 2010, something like that. And in 2015, I, when I basically embarked with one of the, with one of the, on a client side with one of the clients, I decided and I started practice basically Kanban first and then Scrum. And then I was starting to basically experiment in that area. And soon we become really a strategic part of the company, not an administration office anymore. So that's basically how I cross paths with that and how I start working with, with Agile Marketing. I first learned about Agile and Agile Marketing from Yaka. That was in 2019. I was not a, a marketing person. I was an HR person. You know, I worked in a public institution and I actually helped employers seek candidates. And what I found interested with, interesting with Agile is the fact that it combines a lot of different people together. There's less silences. And even though when we're talking about agile marketing, and that may sound a bit silenced, agile marketing is about collaboration. So it's about how we, that, I don't know, okay, we still work in a siloed organization. We are marketing. 
So how can we support the whole organization in the goal? Not just like Yaka said, you know, being a person that do, does presentations for somebody and another. So the continuous improvement part was something that was really, really interesting to me. And I saw that this is like the future of work. So that's why we went there. All right. And what are the, what are the benefits that the data supporting using agility in the marketing space? What have you, what have you seen from your experience? Tell me one thing. What do you see by agile being, being solemnly for the IT? I think that agile as a framework can be used anywhere. So it's basically, and I don't like, as, 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 we, as we talked earlier and, and in previous times, I don't like because right now also Agile is starting to become very silent. We have like an Agile Marketing Manifesto. We have an HR Manifesto. Right now we have, I don't know, customer-centric Agile Manifesto. It's becoming more problematic, right? I think it's all about collaboration and I think it can really benefit because you have less meetings. You have less long emails discussing who needs to decide on something. So it helps basically turn the time to market and to be very quicker. And, and that's basically, I think that the cue, that's the, the core thing that the industry should be doing, they should be all scaled to, to agile in some, some sort of way and use this framework for, for improving and for scalability. And of course they can be, you, if you're a marketing agency and if you're using agile, you are faster. We, we work with a couple of marketing agencies that we help improve implement Agile in their organization. So not in the silos part. And what we see is that they're actually very fast. So they're faster, they take a bit more risks. So they measure, for example, how many times the client says, no, this campaign is too risky, which means that they don't work in a comfort zone. They do really innovate. So this is something that nobody can stole from you. You know, they can steal your campaign, they can steal your people. But the way you work or adapt is something that it's not so easily stolen. So that's the, the beauty. You're faster, you're better, you, you talk with clients constantly and you adapt faster. And this is something that becomes like a new normal for you because sometimes we hear that changes, you know, people don't like to change, blah, blah, blah. But here the velocity of adaptation is really, really fast. This is what we see in practice. All right. So... Pace and ability to respond, really powerful outcomes of agility in marketing. What lessons can you share about any real life application? I know you presented in Prague recently about a, a particular case study. What are the, the top lessons from that particular case study that others might benefit from? You know um, firstly, I would say when you're trying to implement agile and it doesn't matter if it's just in the silos or in organization, please don't pick an A team and don't force people into it. Because what we see is that leaders or CEOs see agile as a new trend, or I don't know if somebody is doing that, we have to do it too. So they picked like the best people in the organization. Yes, they do it cross-functionally, but they don't ask if those people are interested in and they just put them all together. So what they do is that they put together people who don't have any interest to change because they're already the best. And they put together team, a, a team of people that the rest of the organization sees and says, well, of course they did it, they're the best. 
So what you do is like not helping with the implementation of Agile through the whole organization, but what you do is that you just prove that maybe an A team is able to be Agile. Probably not, actually. But this is like the first thing that we say, don't do. Take an average team, represent the whole Agile or the idea as fun as an experiment to all of the people, pick a goal and ask for volunteers. So who want to try? Who wants to have fun? Who's motivated to try something differently? And you will be surprised by the people who volunteer. That would be my first advice. Luyaka. Yeah, so we implemented and we showcased an agency that basically we are in the middle of transforming for right a year and a half. And they decided to go fully agile. There were like two agencies merging together. They decided to go agile. They said, okay, we want to combine this old style of marketing, talking about billboards, radio, television, everything with a digital agency. So combining those two worlds together. And we, we managed to create three different cross-functional teams. And the first benefit that happened was basically every cross-functional team had their own value proposition. So within one agency, you had three different value propositions, you had three different teams, and you have totally three different competitions in the market. Because one cross-functional team was fully stacked for one part of one part of the market and agencies. The second was fully digital Gen Z and was basically a competitor to totally different agencies. So that was the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened was basically that they, the cross-functionality was not based solemnly on they working together, but they also was sitting together in the same office. So basically they moved cross-functional teams sitting together. So the amount of meetings that they have between themselves to, for, for something went to bare minimum. And they scaled it up in the first year for more than 300%. So in terms of numbers, from 800K euros per year to 3.5 million. With the same amount of people. This is, With the same revenue? amount of people. This is revenue, yeah. yeah. So it was basically sounds the same like amount a, of people. Sounds like numbers that like, lots of people would be keen to replicate themselves, scaling yeah. that sort of growth in revenue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, the, the, they were like 20, 22 people and they scaled to 25 and that's it. Basically three, they added three different people to, but basically solemnly for the competences that they needed for TikToks, video, basically what, what basically the industry was, was pacing, not because they needed some additional administration or something. So it's a great case that we have right now and that we are replicating right now to a Gen Z vertical video TikTok agency right now. That's a little bit, that's slightly different because Gen Z has some, some uh, different specifics, but anyhow, it's, 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 it proves to be a right way of working. So. Or a way of working that fits that particular context. The, yeah. uh, the thing that I was really keen to highlight about what you both shared there was the, the invitation, right? So inviting change, not inflicting change. That's how I often describe it, right? You've got a clear purpose. We want to achieve something. We want to try something new. We want to experiment, but we've got a reason for that and we want to improve. And rather than saying, hey, here's you, here's how you're going to work. It's an invitation. Say, hey, we want to achieve this. We invite you to be part of the journey and co-create how we do that with us. I find doing so when bringing about any change, not just in marketing, but in any change in any company, inviting people to be part of the journey, have, having the ability to share their input on how you do things always results in less resistance to that change 
especially if you do frame it as an experiment. It's something we're going to try, we will learn from, and here's when we'll reflect upon it next. And again, you get to input against into the next phase of that experiment. We also, when yeah, we were talking... I, I, no. Yeah, we also, when we were talking with our mentor, we have several mentors helping us during our journey, that this experiment should have an end date, the expiration date. So people can know that it's not going to be infinite, but we are going to, I don't know, we are going to test it for three months. And after three months, we're going to have a in-depth lesson learn what we are going to stick to it and what we're going to basically leave. But in these three months, let's be all fully into the process of testing things basically and start working and find our new way of working. So the expiration date is also very important for, for, for people. When you were talking about change, you know, we don't say that we manage change. We, we, we don't use the change management. It, we, it's all about transitions. And like you said, you said before, you have to include people into the change from the early on. What we see is that a lot of the times CEOs or leaderships, you know, they're talking about Agile already for three months, discussing how, when, and how they would implement. And of course, they are three months into the transition. They're in a different state than when people that first hear about after the three months and they, they, they see, okay, so what's with the fear? I mean, we're already over that. We have been there. So inviting people and discussing, is this change something that we will even talk about it is this relevant is like the first step of of managing transition if you can manage it or if you want it and the second part is that let's be honest it's it's not for everyone you know agile is not for everyone self-management not for everyone we're different kinds of people and we have to understand that in every change especially going into an agile organization or implementing new ways of working it's really important to acknowledge that we have different things to lose so for somebody, this change is very, un it's not painful because they see only the benefits. But, you know, going agile for somebody who's a manager, for example, it can be very painful. It can be painful, but that nobody needs you or that, it, that it's, it's an identity crisis. So be aware that over this change, people take a different face. We don't have to all sprint to it. Yes, some will adapt like that. But some won't and some will live. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that we failed. So it just means that show respect to the people. Don't expect them that just because you see all the benefits that they have to see mm -hmm. too. They're your benefits, just yours. They maybe see a lot of losses there. So talk with people. Don't force it. You know, don't, because if you force, then you have reactance. But be aware that we have different paces. We are in different life stages and it's okay with that. So focusing on that, that empathy, the human side of work, which I, I do think so many people could do with more focus upon. It's all work, work, work and profit this. Who honestly wakes up every morning and thinks, do you know what I really want to do today? I want to put some more dollars in my you know, CEO's pocket so he can go and buy another yacht. That doesn't motivate anyone. That's not fun. And when a change happens that is uncomfortable and, and maybe does challenge your own you know, goals and, and aspirations, it's difficult, especially if you don't understand the underlying why or how you fit into that or how you can, you know, be part of it in a way that makes sense for you in your context. So yeah, very powerful reflection there. Focus on the human side of, of bring about change again, regardless of whether it's in marketing or otherwise, but mm. the human side of bring about transition to use your wording. 
What about some failures then? We talked about some lessons. Where did things go wrong in your experience? What have you tried that just didn't land in the context of agile in marketing? Hmm. Good one. Definitely what didn't land was when we, from my previous work was definitely when I was trying to create an agile team within the siloed organization, because there was some autonomy within the team, but there was not any autonomy outside of this team. So it was really what we did didn't have any, let's say, footprint or nothing because there was always some CMO upon us that said, okay, you can do, we, we discussed this on the meeting, you were not in the room when it happened, so you need to change this and this. So basically, we also started, to, at the beginning, we started with such teams. We said, okay, let's start with one team and we didn't put the all autonomy on the teams. That was basically the, what, we, what we learned that we need to then really discuss with the whole company and, and start on that. But other, other failures that we had was basically, sometimes we perceive things in a different way. That's, 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 that's basically it. We think that they are not, not, I'm not going to say mature enough, but we, sometimes we tend to, we have a transition team when we are changing things with, within the company, right? And we don't, at the beginning, we didn't double check what the transition team was saying to us with people. And we, was, we were leaning on what the transition team said as this is the only truth, right? And we, was, we were misled, misled, basically. So, so those were the things. Right now, what we do, we have a transition team, but we also double-check with the people. It's, it's more work for us, but then we know where to, to start on changing something or help people organize things differently. Because if you lean solemnly on, on the team that you think that is the right one at the beginning, you got to understand that also the transition team doesn't understand very well what's, what's, what's their role. And they tend to sometimes a little manipulate, maybe just address their fears with, with the information that they're giving you. They have different scenarios, so we need to double check. So we were caught in some occasions in, in, in basically in the misinformation. Yeah, I totally agree with Yaka. That was one of really hard lessons learned. I would also add that maybe, right, I mean, after two years of working constantly, we see that, you know, having to work with leadership, that we have to work with leadership quite a lot, because what we see is that teams become autonomous very quickly and they claim things from leaders that they're not willing to give them. So we work now more intensely with leaders, so not just, you know, how they can lead in a different way, what they have to do but also about reading material, you know, what self-management is, what psychological safety is. It's not enough that you have, I don't know, a workshop or two. This has to be something that you talk about it constantly. And also the, so that we work together with them, that, that they see that they test, you know, okay, so one-on-ones that you have, what, what was good and what was not good, what functioned, so that they're the ones that are experimenting also with, you know, lead by example, not, not just expect other people to change. And when they do and they claim things which are okay to be, to be claimed because they are now autonomous mostly, don't be surprised by that. So that would be something that I would definitely change from the start. We worked with leaders, but I have to be honest, we, we haven't worked enough. And sometimes also what we learned is that, and we do that for, from like very, from the very start, but still sometimes it, our uh, judgment is not okay about that. You have to pick the clients that you work with. 
that's of course easier said than done because yes, if you have revenue and other clients, you can do that. But if you don't, you know, there's only like, is it for the money or is it not? But I'm very happy to say that we had like one client that offered us quite a large amount of money, but we said to them that no, because the motivation was not right, because the motivation of the leader was not, I want to make this a better place for my employees, or I want them to be more autonomous. I want them to be more engaged. I want them to feel better at work. Their motivation was more like, how can I get even more money out of them? I want to make them more profitable. And this is something that we don't align with. So we said no. So we really take a lot of time in, and, and consideration of, of who we are working with, because I know we are trying to help organizations going into self-management, but before they go, leaders still have that, like the majority vote or they can, you know, sabotage how the whole transformation is going. So that would be like my two learnings, work with leaders like really, really, really a lot so that they get awareness that they have to act differently, which is hard, of course. And really pick your customers. So do they align with your value, uh, with, with your values, with what you believe in, or is motivation really the right one? And that's a, a really powerful thing. That's the ability to say no to a potential client, the ability to fire a client if you've learned that, hey, this isn't working out, right? This is, this is not aligning to my expectations or my own values and belief system. And it shows great integrity to be able to do that in, in the face of a lot of revenue. And that can be difficult given certain economic conditions, but the ability to say, hey, this isn't going to work out yet. And, and the, I think, I think as you've highlighted there, working with leadership and understanding whether they, they are coachable, whether they are open to change themselves, because one of the worst things you can do as a leader is say, hey, you do this, but I'm not going to do that myself. Like, hey, you come into the office because we need people in three days a week. But I turn up once a week because I'm, you know, that I'm different. Mm -hmm. Or what's the other ones out there? You know, I want you to have less stressful working hours. But what I'm going to do is be sending emails all hours of the morning because I'm busy. And that just reinforces the, the behavior for others. And it creates the expectation that they'll, they'll match up to that or respond at those times. So again, a hugely powerful thing you can do to bring about any change is ensure that leadership are demonstrating the behavior they wish to see themselves. You know, stepping up first, doing the action first, showing others that it's okay to make a mistake, for example, to fail, will allow others, people to feel more comfortable with failing themselves. That's why this motivation awesome. is really important. Uh, Sorry. That's, that's why yes, this- Yes, it is. Yeah, that's motivation, right. because otherwise it's what happens is basically, they just want to say, okay, I want my company on autopilot. That's it. I want to do it. You do it for me. And I just want, I'm going to introduce PLs, profit and loss, basically for every team. And I want them to be 30% above it. And that's it. It's, it, it doesn't work that way. It, it really does not. So. But isn't I'm, it interesting? We see that a lot with Yaka. You know, we know that, that sometimes if we communicate something and act differently, that this doesn't work well, that you have to, you know, children see how we act, not what we talk. Mm -hmm. But we have those kind of things in our reward system all over the, the companies. So we communicate this kind of behavior is welcomed. I don't know, teamwork or any other value that's now popular. I don't know what, but we don't reward that. We reward individualism. We reward, I don't know, silences. So 
how do you in a company actually reward the behavior that you are expecting from the employees? Because we're very adaptable, you know, that's why we came from the caves to here and we will adapt our behavior. If I can get the bare minimum to get the same amount of salary, I probably will if I don't have any autonomy and decision-making because this is how we are. It's not about being lazy. It's about being very adaptable to in using our resources. So when we're talking with the companies, you know, look at them as a system. How your people are acting is a symptom of the systems you have, not how bad the people are. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. I often say this when I'm speaking with people is that a fault isn't necessarily with the person, it's with the system itself. So seek to improve the system first, not assume fault with a person. Often it's because the system is failing them, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And that's always my, my default starting point. There will, of course, be some rarer scenarios where someone is just perhaps behaving in a way that doesn't help the system. But the majority of times, in my experience, it's always the system not helping them. They could be given more support. You could display empathy and, and ask them, how could we help you achieve this outcome better? And again, it often comes back to how ways of working have been put upon people. A way of working may not fit a person, therefore they're not best you know, responding to it in a way that best suits their abilities, their skills. So yeah, lots to reflect on there. One thing I'm just going to highlight for a moment. There's, there's listeners here that can't see what I can see. Behind Yaka, it's a great picture with three words in it. Get shit done. Yeah. Love that. You love like, that. Okay. You have a I birthday, right? You just, have just, a birthday, right? It's very soon. I have a what, sorry? <laughs> you have a, have birthday, a birthday very, very soon. soon. Very soon, <laughs> very soon yeah. In, in two weeks, I'm going to be in Amsterdam at a conference Will I get shit done? The, the question remains to be seen. Who knows? It depends <laughs> on how much I've had to drink. <laughs> but I love the, the, the mantra of just get shit done. I guess the politically correct version of that when I'm speaking with clients and, and teams is I quote Elvis Presley, a little less conversation, a little more action. That to me is the, 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 the politer equivalent of get shit done. Mm -hmm. Like that one. Right. So I mentioned Miro earlier. You two are fanatics. I have personally created hundreds of Miro resources that others can use in various stages of their Agile journey. I understand you've made some cool ones as well. So tell me about the, I guess, templates, the tools that you've created in Miro that others may benefit from. Nina, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, we Actually, we haven't been that so much productive as you have been. So we don't have hundreds. We have like, I don't know, 12, but since it's only the two of us or now, actually it will be three of us because we get a new team member on Saturday, no Sunday. So yay, yay for switch. Yeah. Actually the best templates are of course, agile marketing. This was like the most downloaded template that we have. And it, it got a lot of spark and we got a lot of feedback that it really helped teams in agile departments, I mean, marketing departments, that it helped them implement different kinds of working. But also a lot of them are about team dynamics. This is, for example, team psychological safety, five dysfunctions. Then we have self-management or team alignment workshop. These are all tools that actually we use almost every day when we work with different kinds of companies or teams. So we, we help them, you know, for example, psychological safety. It's like the basis for everything. 
when we come to a company and they say, and we say, okay, so how do you have any conflicts? How with feedback? And a lot of the times we get, no, we all get along. We're very nice with each other. There's no conflicts. Well, that's not good news. And of course you don't have any innovation. Yeah, we suffer on that part. Yes, of course you do, because you have artificial harmony. You don't have psychological safety, especially not on a challenger level. So what we help them is, you know, just raise awareness of the importance of psych safety, psychological safety, and that actually our brain works differently when we feel psychologically safe. If, if you work in a toxic environment, people can expect from you to take risks because a part of your brain actually shuts down. So... I won't bore you with, with the medical, how it says, but you know, it, those are the basics. What kind of psychological safety you have? What are the motivational factors? Do you talk about the team dysfunctions that every team has? Even though if you have, I don't know, high psychological safety today, it doesn't mean that you will have it tomorrow. So this is something that you can do actually all the time. So yeah, team psychological safety, agile marketing. And I think that. Now the five dysfunctions are like the top templates mm -hmm. that users really love in the Miro community. Lots of great resources that I'm sure you'll provide the, the links for when we release this episode. Yeah. So others can give those a go. And just to touch upon what you were saying there, to me, in my experience, the, the most successful teams I've ever been involved with, they challenge one another. They disagree. They have conflict in a healthy way. And that's perfectly okay because... That's how we get new thinking. It's how we uh, bring diverse approaches to how we're, we're doing things. It's how we seek and find improvement. As you highlight, a team that just agrees with one another and is all, you know, false harmony often is hiding or not speaking openly. Mm. And that is often a symptom of a lack of safety psychologically. So yeah, looking forward to seeing a few of those templates myself. I, I've created canvases and i've created a, a, my own take on the five dysfunctions of a team by patrick lencioni the uh, the retrospective version which explores you'll see each of the the levels and how you can improve a, a lack of trust or an avoidance of accountability and, and all the others so awesome to hear that you're doing great things with resources right the other topic i was keen to touch upon and we're gonna spend the ne next five minutes covering this now new ways of working you hinted at it earlier nina why is new ways of working, N-W-O-W, -W, something you're passionate about? You know, I, I, for a certain amount of time, I used to work in clinical psychology. I, I work in a psychiatric institution. And what I saw was a lot of mental health issues that were actually related to work. So not feeling good in, the, in workplaces, you know, having toxic relationships. And I thought to myself, does it really... Does it have to be that way? Can work be differently? So that's when we, I met Yaka and he told me about teal organizations and self-management and everything. And I just got a revelation that, you know, we, we can change things that we think that we can, that we take for granted. For example, how companies are structured, hierarchy. Do we have to be structured that way? That's like a hundred year old principles that we are still using today in a totally different world. The same was with school system. And so, so when I'm talking about new ways of working and humanizing workplace, actually it's, it's like being in, in the mental health prevention work. You know, you help if we make one company better or more human for 50 employees, that's like 50 families. 
And if that's not the purpose to live for, I don't know what. And also, as you can see, I have a, a, a lovely six-year-old daughter and I don't want her to work in, in an institution where she has to ask like six different bosses for approving when she can go, I don't know, on a toilet or something. The world is different today. It's about autonomy, empowerment, entrepreneurship, adaptability, you know, changes are constant. So, you know, let's, let's put people first because if we do things right, all the rest will follow. So that's, that's the person, the, the purpose for new ways of working. Yaka. For our listeners who can't see, by the way, uh, behind Nina is a wall of drawings and pictures and artwork that is, I'm told, produced by her daughter. So, yeah, if you're checking this out on YouTube, take a look at that artwork. And uh, Nina, you mentioned it was a source of inspiration for you as well. Well, yeah, my daughter is like an inspiration for me, but this is like, I, I know that people can see it, the, the ones that are listening, but this is like a progress wall. You know, I, she can see how much she developed when, when she tried to draw different kind of things. So here you have drawings from where she was like one year old, which like, I don't know, just a, a, a bit on the paper. And from now that she's six year old. So I want her to learn that she has to try and, and fail a lot, but actually to see where she have been. And it's like, yeah, my inspiration to be better every day and to have workshops that humanize the world. I've been so philosophical right now. So, okay. I really, <laughs> I, I really can add anything to that. So sorry, Chris, for me, you're not going to get anything. She, I, you cannot beat that. You can't. You can't beat that. Yeah. No. Done. Done. So next question, I, please. Something I, for, I don't know. <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, I'm in, I'm in so much agreement, you know, that you need to focus on people. We spend so much of our lives working. We owe it to ourselves to mm. enjoy that process and create environments where people are enjoying work and aren't burnt out by it and aren't having mental health challenges as a consequence of work. My honest feeling is that no matter how many companies I've worked with, my biggest success stories haven't been, oh, I improved time to market by X percent or, oh, we, you know, we, we increased the revenue of this product by $22 million in a year. Those aren't my success stories. The success stories are when someone like Dalton comes up to me at a Christmas party and hugs me and thanks me for helping him find a, a role that is more fitting of what he's looking for. It's the stories where people share, they've tried new things and it's just brought joy in and, and uh, improvements to their ways of working. And I get messages, uh, again, because I share a lot of resources, I get these sorts of messages all the time. It's those successes that drive me, not the, not the outcomes that we, are, we, we typically are expected to bring about as, as leaders. Final question then, where should we learn more about you and your work, folks? Um, definitely LinkedIn, definitely our website, Myro, Myroverse, you can have our webpage there. You're also going to, I'm pretty sure, start working on some kind of content that we're going to create because we see the urgency on our part of, of Europe that needs something like that needs to be developed because as, as Nina mentioned, it's switching to new ways of working. It's not going to be something that's, let's say it's, it's going to be reserved solely for more agile companies, but Right now, we need to employ Gen Z. Gen Z is not willing to work for general managers and managers who are willing to tell them why and which, 
they're not, they need purpose. They need, and they, the purpose should not be solemnly Patagonia purpose. They need a weekly purpose. Why we are doing this this week? Because we need to fulfill this and that. They need, they need to switch from work to work style, basically, to work from anywhere at any time that they want. So companies should need to adapt to, to this kind of work. Otherwise, they will not, they will be out of employees in, in five years to 10 years. Because boomers right now are, are t- trying to prepare themselves to go into the retirement. So there, there is no other way uh, of thinking. So regarding us, definitely LinkedIn, definitely conferences. We're going to talk on, uh, in um, Amsterdam with you. Not with you, but uh, beside you, we are going to have a different speech. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you both for sharing your experiences, your, your insights, your stories. We are always keen to hear what our listeners think about the topics we discuss on the show. So feel free to share your insights on LinkedIn or DM me. If you enjoyed the episode, you know what to do. Hover that finger over the subscribe button and press it ever so centrally. You'll both enjoy it, I promise. Till next time, folks, don't stop believing. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.